Hi, I'm Dr. Shana. I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana. I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the mental wellness practice. In this episode, we're exploring how to find a good therapist. I'll be sharing 10 considerations to help you find the right provider. I'll also share some suggestions for where you can find the right provider. And at the end of our episode, I'll share a little activity that can help to point you in the right direction. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. For more information, check out the show notes, reach out to me at drshana.com or follow me on Instagram at drshana. Thanks for learning and growing with me. My true hope is that this episode can be helpful for just about anyone looking to find a good therapist, but there are a few disclaimers that we should go over first. One being that language differs across the globe. And that means that language for counseling, therapy, psychology is not necessarily the same. I'm not talking about just translation aspects here. It's just different credentials, degrees, and just how that accreditation is is different, first of all, here in the States from state to state, but certainly from country to country. I do think a lot of the things that we're covering today can be helpful despite where you are in the globe. But keep in mind that some of the wording may shift for where you're located. Additionally, this episode is best suited for you if you are looking for a provider in private practice. Again, that language may vary, but generally it means that the level of severity of the concerns that you're addressing means that it's pretty much safe enough for you to be at home and living your life as normal with some appointments in between. If the level of severity is more than that, then you might not need a provider in private practice. Yes, some of the things that we're going to go over can still help you find someone, but you might need to be in a different setting altogether. If you're in the States, this is a good opportunity, if that checks out for you, to call 988. And I also link some other um, avenues in the show notes in case that helps you too. If you're elsewhere in the globe and you know that equivalent for where you're located, which is essentially our mental health lifeline, uh, whether that's a number or a website, please reach out to me. I'd love to be able to include that in the show notes as well. Ideally, you're able to listen to this episode before you begin the process of looking for a provider, but maybe you're already in the middle of your journey. And I think that this episode is still helpful for you. At the very least, maybe you will find an opportunity for alignment and validation. A lot of things may check out. You may realize how wonderful your provider is. On the opposite end of the spectrum, perhaps listening to this opens your eyes to what is off and why things may not be working. And if that's the case, perhaps it will help to shed some insight into what gaps you need to fill when you shift your focus to finding someone new. I wanna normalize that most people do not start out in the process thinking they have to restart the process, starting with someone new. And no one I know really is eager to start over, over and over and over again. Um, 
I chuckle merely out of awkwardness and exhaustion there. It really isn't much to chuckle about because I know what it's like to restart with a provider or start with a new provider rather. And it's a lot. I mean, so therapy in and of itself is a lot and opening your mind and heart and being vulnerable and courageous takes a lot of energy out of you. And that sensation of having to restart when you find a new provider. Yeah, that can be overwhelming. With that being said, the energy that you're pouring into a relationship and a rapport that isn't actually serving you in terms of effective counseling, that's a lot too. So the shift can be intimidating, but I want to normalize that most of us don't get it right on the first try. We mean well, but how can we know what we're looking for the very first time? The odds are just not in our favor. So it's okay if you're listening in and you already have a provider, um, but especially if you have a provider and you're just thinking something's off, something's not working. I hope this, this episode helps you. Another point to consider, and our last point before we jump in, is that this episode is best for you if you are looking for a provider for yourself, mostly because you know, especially if you've been listening to some of the other episodes, I'm really big about that self-reflection, self-awareness, and improving our agency, autonomy, and empowerment to better help ourselves and others. So most of the prompts that we'll go through will be explored specifically for the personal realm. I'll ask you questions about you and what matters to you as we go through. But it is not lost on me that many of you might have found this episode hoping to find a good provider for someone else. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe you are in the workplace and you're in a position of power and you realize someone's showing some warning signs. And good on you, really. I see that little mental health advocate in you and I really appreciate that. You can still use this episode. Absolutely, please do. But perhaps it's also something, if accessible and developmentally appropriate, you offer to that person too to help them provide, um, find the right provider for them. And if you are that person who has tuned in because you're looking to support someone else in their journey, keep in mind that the process of supporting someone else can trigger a lot of our own mental health. So if you don't already have a provider, maybe you also should listen on your own behalf. And in a future episode, I will certainly be delving into how you can be a better mental health advocate to not only work on your own mental well-being, but to help others too. So keep a lookout for that. So without further ado, here are 10 things to look for when you're trying to find a therapist. Does the provider offer a free consultation? I'm not going to go so far as to say that this is a deal breaker, but it certainly is telling because a good therapist knows that a good match is important for the both of you. And with that being known, they're willing to take the time to chat. Sometimes it's just a few minutes and others might offer a consultation that the duration is similar to the length of the session time. The length so much doesn't matter. It's the willingness to offer this time. It better helps you to assess the following suggestions that I'm going to share, and you won't have to do a lot of the hunting on the website. 
And it gives the therapist an opportunity to catch things that you might not know. So for example, you may be interested in a certain provider for good intentions. Perhaps some of the suggestions I'm going to share do match. Yet there may be things that you're not expected to know, like specialization, credentials, and they may be able to catch that there's another provider that would be better suited for you. They can help to point you in that direction. Are you looking for talk therapy, medication, a combination of both, or a different form of therapy altogether? Now, you may not know that answer yet, but if you do, that's a pretty helpful distinction to help you point in the right direction because not all therapists provide talk therapy and not all therapists provide medication. It's okay if you don't know because a good provider on either side will likely assess, monitor, and suggest to loop the other in if needed. And by the way, the combination has been deemed effective of talk therapy and medication, especially if you're struggling. So you might have two distinct providers, say a licensed mental health counselor and also a psychiatrist working with you. Yet with all that being said, I think a quick crash course and who you would see for both would be helpful. Maybe at a later date, we'll delve deep into what these different paths are and how they differ, but for the purpose of knowing what you need to find to get the right therapist for you. If you're looking for medication, what you're looking for is a psychiatrist or another medical provider with a specialization in psychiatric medicine. So there are a lot of really wonderful counselors, social workers, psychologists who are unable to prescribe medication. Doesn't mean that you can't work with them just means that you shouldn't expect to get medication from them. You can also receive medication in some instances from your primary care. However, this is not their level of expertise. And then you would be missing that deeper factor of, of education, awareness, and experience. The other side of that, if you may have picked up on this already, if you are looking for talk therapy, then you're likely looking for a clinical psychologist, a social worker, a marriage and family therapist, or a mental health counselor. If you're curious about what those distinctions are, once you narrow it down to know, am I looking for medication? Am I looking for talk therapy? When you're in your consultation, you can ask more about that specific realm and what is the difference from that person's perspective of them being a social worker versus being a psychologist. What modality are you looking for? Are you hoping to see someone individually? Or perhaps you're in a relationship that you're wanting to strengthen your bond and you're looking for couples therapy. Or perhaps it's even wider than that and you're looking for family therapy. Maybe you're wanting the support of like-minded individuals who may be addressing the same problem, but they may not be someone you know in your life and group therapy can be an option. It's also possible that you're interested in several of these modalities and that's great. But especially when you're starting out, my suggestion would be to start with individual therapy. I'm going to go ahead and own it. This is my bias. I originally was going to be a marriage and family counselor, and then I realized the power of working at the individual level. 
and if we all work on the individual level, how much easier couples, family, group counseling, and um, not to mention just life could be. Um, so I own my bias there. So if you're starting out from scratch, I'm going to encourage you to look for an individual counselor first. However, if the main issues that you are experiencing are in these other areas, especially if I'm talking about couples and family work, then by all means, that's the right modality for you. So I only share the individual suggestion if you're not sure where to start and there it's hard to choose and you're like, I could be interested in all these modalities. You can always start with an individual provider and then go into another form. What are the provider's credentials? At the very, very least, regardless of what domain, if they're in social work, counseling, psychology, you want a provider that is licensed. I'm not going to go and get on a soapbox about why this is important, but know that this will save you a lot of trouble in terms of risking ethical considerations. Just you definitely want a licensed provider that will ensure the quality or a great deal of difference in quality and provider. Then in terms of credentials, it might depend on what you are going in for and just who you are as a person. So working with the latter first, I personally find it helpful to know, well, where did you study, right? And maybe this is just how my anxious mind works and my experience in academia, but it's helpful to know what type of program, like what method did you train in? Why did you choose a program like that? Those things are all telling for me, but again, I'm in the field. So maybe that makes me nosy in that regard. Perhaps you don't need to know where they graduated from, but you might want to know if there is a special concern that you are addressing. If they have a specialty certificate training license in that, so for example, if you are going to therapy for an addiction, then if you're living with an addiction, you might want a provider who is specializing in addiction and has done training and certifications in addictions work as well. What methods do they use? Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as their clinical or theoretical orientation. Essentially, you want to know the theories that guide their practice and if those theories match your needs. Some people ascribe pretty solid to one method over the other, and some people use a more integrated approach. I, for one, do the latter. I utilize an existential basis with cognitive strategies and a strengths-based method overall, but I tend to tweak it depending on the client because needs tend to vary. And I believe that the methods that we use should also adjust accordingly. But like I said, that's different from clinician to clinician. What you will want to know is if the provider even knows what orientation they have and are using, what methods they're incorporating in their practice, and the why behind that. You'll also want to know that that why matches whatever it is you're hoping to address in counseling. What do they charge? It's great if you're ready to look for a counselor. It means you're ready to put your money where your healing is, and that's where it matters. However, being able to ask the rate helps you to understand if it's realistic and to budget accordingly. It helps you to narrow down who you can see and what methods you need to take in order to make that possible. Finding out if a provider wants to see you once a month 
is very different from a provider who might want to see you twice a week. And that's just based on frequency. It also depends on the fee. If that provider who wants to see you twice a week, then that matches your need is also equivalent in price to the provider that wants to see you once a week, then that's pretty much a moot point. And it's based on clinical need and your preference. A common way that you might want to factor in the rate aspect is if you have your insurance and if you want to use your insurance. And you might think, if I have the insurance and it covers it, why wouldn't I want to use it? Well, insurance only covers for a few amount of sessions, usually a limited amount, I want to say. Some cover more than a few. So to be grammatically correct there, I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. A limited amount. And realistically, for many people, they need more than that amount that's covered. You don't want to have to minimize your healing or rush your healing to fit into a certain amount of sessions if you do not have to. So you might find someone who is qualified and takes your insurance. However, you're only granted, let's say, about four to six sessions, which is a pretty common average. Um, if you're lucky, it goes all the way up to 12. But I got to tell you, I've seen most of my clients who have healed for more than 12 sessions over the years. But again, you don't want to ask that. Also, if you have insurance, but your provider does not accept the insurance that you have, that may be a distinguishing factor for you to go back to the drawing board and go to the directory. However, keep in mind, and I know a lot of people don't know this, many providers may consider covering the equivalent of your copay or offering you something equivalent like a reduced fee rate or a hardship rate. In addition to that, if you are willing to, and you have an insurance plan that allows you to get reimbursed, then many providers, once you ask for it, will be able to provide you a super bill. So even though they may not be associated with that specific insurance, they will be able to offer you a bill that you submit and you can get reimbursed. So then it's kind of a moot point about how you are paying. What is their availability? This is another one of those realistic questions that we often overlook. I have had, unfortunately, I have heard some stories of people finding the right person. They don't even think to ask this question. And then every time they're trying to get in with that provider, it's virtually impossible because they have opposite schedules. So it's something that you'll want to know from the get-go because no matter how wonderful your rapport is, if you can't get in to see your provider, then that just isn't going to be all that helpful now, is it? So I gave you the answer or the example um, just a little while earlier about frequency. I know that a lot of providers, especially in the beginning, are interested in seeing clients more than once per week. And that's something to consider if you're starting out and the expectation is that you're seeing someone two or three times a week. Then how are you going to fit that in? How is that going to be possible for you? Yet, maybe that's the interim. Say you are on a mental health break from work and that's the perfect time for you, then it works out well. Members of the third interdivisional APA task force on evidence-based relationships and responsiveness reviewed the evidence on relationship factors thought to enhance psychotherapy outcomes. 
Now, if that mouthful started to make your eyes gloss over, essentially all I'm saying here is a bunch of experts were curious about what traits in a provider and in the therapeutic relationship could help the effectiveness of therapy. And I think it's important to consider these traits when you are looking for a new provider. Maybe you can sense some of this in that initial phone call. Maybe you can sense it in the consultation, but the truth is you're still looking for a good provider. Even if you're a few sessions in, you don't have to feel like you're committed and it's all set in stone just because you're a few sessions in. Take that as a trial period. Definitely commit yourself to the process, but also be open to the notion that maybe there is someone else out there for you and you want to make sure that you get what you are worthy and deserving of to make sure you are getting the help that you need. Anyhow, some of these traits are empathy, seeing the provider as being emotionally connected, feeling positive regard from the provider, and being able to see that they're genuine. That's in the provider themselves. So just generally asking yourself, do you feel safe in their presence? Then in the wider relationship, so this is something that will come up over time, does it seem like the relationship is authentic, collaborative, do you agree on the goals? And is there feedback? So bi-directional feedback, feedback that you can offer the provider if something is not hitting the mark. And also, are they able to, of course, offer you feedback in the process? So many times we are not really sure what we're looking for in a provider, especially if it's the first time we are beginning therapy. So I hope that these key traits can help you to fill in those blanks. Now on the other side of the spectrum altogether, it's helpful to ask yourself what a good therapist would look like for you specifically. The key traits that I mentioned, it's great that it's evidence-based, but really those are pretty generic traits that you probably could have guessed before I said them because they kind of just go hand in hand with what we think therapy is and what a therapy relationship would ideally be like in order to serve as a catalyst for growing in therapy. Now, with that being said, we're also different or presenting concerns are different. And what is the right formula for the right provider for me would look different from you. And that doesn't mean that either of us are wrong. Also, someone you love and care about and someone who's similar to you doesn't necessarily mean that the right provider for them works for you either. So that's something to keep in mind. Allow yourself the space to think about, well, what would a good provider be like for you? And I get that you might not know that answer yet, especially if it's your first time and that's okay. But think about what would help you to feel safe in a session. What qualities would help you to open up to someone? I know in my experience, being a Guyanese American, and we don't have a lot of Guyanese American counselors, or at least not as much as we would like, um, that many times I have people reach out to me sharing that they would love a referral for another Guyanese American counselor so they can feel a sense of understanding and they won't have to explain themselves as much, et cetera, et cetera. And Representation does matter, and I totally understand wanting to feel bonded with your provider. But it's also important to know that a multiculturally humble and trained provider doing their work 
can have the space to be different from you because we're all different from one another in some degree, shape or form and understand your perspective. So for example, I'm culturally different from my provider and most of my clients are, and I'm talking about ethnicity and race here. I am distinct from most of my clients. However, my experience in multicultural counseling and humility helps me to still create a space for them to share in that way. So I say all of that to bring it full circle. There might be a treat you think could help for you. And by all means, please look for that provider. Yet know that there are also options in case that specific trait isn't available. And I think it could be a powerful discussion in session two to talk about what you were looking for, why you were looking for it, and how you couldn't find it. That would be pretty powerful to explore. Now, also something to consider, I was mentioning that this could be pretty challenging if you don't um, have previous experience and if this is your first time in counseling. But what about those of us who've been in counseling before? Use that experience to help you know what works for you. Say, for example, you were working with a provider that you really appreciate, respect, things were all wonderful, and you had to move from state to state. And now that provider is not licensed in that state, meaning it seems like you have to start from scratch. Well, if you know or can reflect on at least what helps you with that previous provider that may give you some signals of what you want to look for in your new provider and it's not lost on me that that is kind of a you know a glossy you know rainbow situation and more often than not it's more of the opposite in which we had a provider that we're not feeling that connection with and we're not progressing in therapy the way we would like so we stop that we stop that service first of all if you're in that position and you're looking for a new provider good on you for not giving up because sometimes it is just you the provider the rapport it doesn't mean anyone's a bad person it just means that that connection is not there that connection means a lot so if that is the case that you're in, think about what didn't work and that can help you shed some light on what you're looking for. Are you ready to find the right provider for you? I know some of you probably rolled your eyes at that and I understand you're like, I'm listening. I'm listening this far. Of course I am. But the reason why I say this is because when you find the right provider for you, it's game on. We all say we want to heal and it is worth it, but it isn't always easy. It's the real deal. Once you find the right provider, there isn't the opportunity then to blame it on. I don't feel comfortable yet. I'm not sure we're not on the same page. All these little obstacles that are in the way are likely not going to be there anymore. And it's time to do the work. A good provider will make you think in a way that you haven't thought. And also they might interject, give you feedback, help you see things that you haven't seen before. And not to mention just the context of the therapeutic relationship. It's unique from lots of other relationships. The boundaries are distinct. It's one directional and 
there are things that are appropriate to say or do in therapy that isn't necessarily appropriate outside of therapy and vice versa. So there's a lot of adjustment to that that can be abrupt, especially if we're dealing with underlying concerns that might be related to relationships. So a provider could be all wonderful on paper and could be doing all the right things. But if we aren't truly ready to take on that journey, then we're just not going to feel healed. Um, Well, let me backstep. We won't feel connected. We won't feel ready to commit to the process. And then we will be a little bit held back in the healing process, which can then make it seem like it is the provider or the rapport and really The truth is sometimes it's about us and our lack of readiness. It's one thing to think we're ready for therapy, and it's a whole other thing to take that courageous step of doing the hard work. Now, I'm pretty confident that you're ready to do that work or that you're already doing that work, but it is important for us to self-check before we project that on a concern that perhaps isn't someone else's or doesn't have anything to do with the relationship. It might be a reflection of our internal world. So that's not to say if you're not ready to not go to therapy, but I think that you want to pace yourself, give yourself the space to reflect on, well, where's that hesitance coming from? What are you worried about? What are you so scared about? Giving yourself the space to think about that may help you to shift your readiness into the direction of healing. Now that we've explored what to look for in a provider, it's going to be helpful for us to consider where to look. Earlier, I was referring to the concept of insurance. And if you are using insurance, most companies have a find a therapist tool. And it works no different than if you were trying to find a dentist, a primary care physician, you put your zip code in and it'll help to filter. In my experience, different companies have different levels of filters, so they might just pop out a bunch of providers, and then it's up to you to use those tips that we covered earlier to help you understand and refine down to who you may be interested in seeing. I hope this one seems particularly obvious, but you can just Google. And yeah, similar to what I was just mentioning as a drawback with certain insurance companies, they may not have a filtered process, This pretty much just opens it up to anyone who's a provider or uses the word counselor, therapist, psychology on their page, right? So you you know how Google works. It can bring up things that do not actually match. But if you go more to the area of Google and the businesses, you go to that tab and you put in your zip code, what I find helpful about this is it does aid in cross-referencing for convenience. Now, Everyone is different, but finding a provider close to me nearby is a big deal. Realistically speaking, taking an hour to drive to someone and back, that's not something that really works for me. However, shout out to the people who've done that for me because I really appreciate that. There says a lot of commitment about your journey. And I understand if you find the right provider, you're willing to go far for them. So there's that. And of course, that may not really matter much if you're trying to see someone virtually, but uh, I think Google can help. 
Now, to refine things more, there are a variety of directories, and I have linked a bunch that I suggest in my show notes, very similar to the insurance process and what I'm talking about Google so far, you put your zip code in there, but usually these directories are already refined enough by quality and you're presenting concern or identity. And then there are already some other filters that can help you find the information you're needing. You know, I was talking much earlier about using a consultation, but also if you can just glance at someone's profile and know, okay, these things do not match, then it also saves you some time. Now, what is growing more and more is the presence of providers on social media. And personally, I find no in, no issue with finding someone who could be a good provider for you through social media. So with that being said, remember that social media is not the right method for therapy. So if you find a page that you like and you notice that this person is licensed in your state, then go ahead and find their actual web page, reach out through the method that they're using to contact them and voila very different from sliding into their DMs. If you know someone who's had success in therapy, then they can also be a good signal to help you find the right provider. If this is someone that you care about, yet they're not too intermingled with your own healing journey, then first of all, their actual provider may be an option for you. Out of courtesy, I do think it's important that you have that discussion first before you contact that potential provider. And remember, we discussed earlier that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for you, even if you're similar and have, um, you know, even if you're similar, period. <laughs> so with that being said, it doesn't mean that that provider will be a good match for you. However, especially if you're doing an initial consultation, that provider may be able to refer you to someone else, especially if they realize that you're not a good match for them. Just the same thing. You not being a good match for them is them not being a good match for you. Now, let's say there's someone that you have in your life who is a therapist. Really important to know, you probably should not see that person and likely they'll tell you that too. Um, I know why you may be interested in seeing that person because you already have some of the connection aspect that seemingly would make the journey easier, but it's all sorts of complicated. With that being said, they may be a wealth of resources to help refer you to the right provider. Now, I want to speak specifically to a problem we have with therapy being relatively inaccessible. Even if we have insurance, even if we can pay out of pocket, it certainly is not as accessible as it should be, especially in terms of thinking about how it could be important for each and every one of us. And with that being being said, you may be listening to this and considering that you would like to be able to find the right provider for you, but you're worried about resources in terms of how can you afford therapy. And I mentioned those directories earlier. Some of them that I have linked in the show notes, specifically OpenPath, specializes in reduced rate services. So that is one place to start. But also, I think there are some places that people don't think to look. If you have a local mental health association in your area, many of those either offer low cost services or can direct you 
to local low cost services. I know for a fact, if you're in Florida, Orlando, Central Florida with me, the Mental Health Association of Central Florida is excellent in offering both low cost services, but also giving directories for providers outside of their association as well. Another place that I realize people don't think to look for low cost services is the university setting. When counselors specifically, but this is, I I will speak specifically to counseling because that is the field that I'm in, but I know this is similar for other fields too. In training and you're in your program, you technically cannot um, just ethical, legal, cannot pay cost, cannot charge for services. So with that being said, you usually I'm just going to speak specifically to UCF. Okay. I'm not going to skirt around the bush. That's what I know of. When students are in training at UCF, for example, you can see a provider, a student provider who is supervised usually via video and in real time, um, by a licensed supervisor. So you're kind of getting two, two providers for one in a way. And in many ways, it's more than two because that case will be confidentially handled and there can be consultation in a way that many times when we're out in practice, we may not be consulting or seeking, um, seeking feedback as much with our colleagues outside of the university setting. So another way to do this is to see if there are any local therapy programs at a university near you and to contact those universities and ask about if they have a training facility that offers free or low cost services. It's amazing to me that we do not market these services more because I think there's a really great opportunity. I understand some of the potential drawbacks. Okay. I'm not seeing someone who is who has years of experience. I might not see someone who has a specialization, but I always come back to two things. First, you might have more eyes on your case than not. And I I personally find that helpful. And also it's low cost and better than not receiving any counseling at all. So I hope that that little hack is particularly helpful for those of you who may have been listening in and thinking this is all nice, but maybe I can't afford it. Since this is the mental wellness practice, I would love to leave you with a practical activity for this session. Now, with all of that being said, I hope it is dreadfully obvious that the entire episode has been pretty practical. You now know what to look for and where to look to find a provider. And especially the first part of the episode, what to look for, you can use those 10 tips as a checklist. I encourage you to sit with those prompts and try to fill in the blanks before you even get to the second part of the episode, where to look. Now, just a little bit extra before you do either of those things to give yourself a moment, the space to reflect somewhere that's calm, quiet, that you're not distracted by everything else in the world. Give yourself a moment to just think about what would it look like if you were leaving a therapy session in which you and your provider have recognized how far you've come, 
how your treatment goals have been achieved and how it might be time to either drop down in the frequency or potentially not return until you need to. I would love for you to take yourself in this time machine and consider what would that be like? What would that experience be like for you? What emotions might you have? What thoughts may run through your mind? And on top of that, what causes that conversation between you and the right provider? How do you know that it's time to either step down or be done with therapy altogether? I hope that that reflection will also help you to pave the way to use the rest of the episode practically. Again, using those 10 tips as a checklist and then off you go to find a therapist in the places that were suggested. I hope you're motivated to get your journey started. And if you are in with a provider now and you're ready to redirect, I hope this gives you a little bit of the courage that you may have been looking for. I wish you the best in your journey. And thank you so much for learning and growing with me. <music>